Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews, with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself, so if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for JLGBHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to, and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is actress, author and activist Jamie Lee Curtis, joined by her comedy legend husband, Christopher Guest. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. Jamie Lee Curtis is a BAFTA and Golden Globe winner who got her first big break in acting in 1978 when she won the role of Laurie Strode in Halloween and has undoubtedly earned the title of America's Queen of Scream, reprising her role in many of the Halloween franchise movies. You will know her from starring in countless hit films, comedies, and family favourites, such as Trading Places, True Lies, Freaky Friday, A Fish Called Wonder, and Knives Out. Her parents, of course, also Hollywood royalty, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. Jamie is also a children's author and activist with leadership roles with both the Children's Hospital Los Angeles and the Children Affected by AIDS Foundation. Christopher Guest is an American British and best known for writing, composing, acting, and directing many comedy cult classics, including This Is Spinal Tap, Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind, Best in Show, For Your Consideration, and most recently, the Netflix Hilarious Mascots. Christopher received his dramatics arts training at New York City's High School of Arts and Music and at Bard College, he plays several instruments and was even a cast member of Saturday Night Live. But it is Christopher's connection to Georgia B that many of you may not know, as he brings us a full circle as we mark 125 years of Georgia B. Christopher inherited the formal title of the fifth Baron Lord Hayden Guest of Great Sailing in the County of Essex from his late father, a UN diplomat in 1996. And he is actually the great grandson of Colonel Albert E. W. Goldsmith, MVO, the very man who founded the Jail to Be back in 1895. So we really do have a lot to thank him for. We're so privileged that both Jamie and Christopher have found the time to speak to us this evening, despite their very busy schedule. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, live all the way from the USA, please welcome tonight incredibly special guests, Jamie Lee Curtis and Christopher Guest. 
Welcome, Jamie and Christopher. How are you both? Hello. Hello, everyone. That was a, uh, can you hear us okay? Nod. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, because we get, you know, with all the muting, there's a lot of muting going on and we just want to make sure we're unmuted. Um, the only thing you got wrong in your uh, introduction, which was lovely, is that I don't think we know where Hollywood is. Um, I could give you directions to Hollywood, but we do not live in Hollywood. We are not in Hollywood right now. We are in our home in uh, a mountain area in Los Angeles. So, okay. Yes, and I, I would say that in, in your lovely introduction, uh, I uh, co-wrote <clears throat> the film, This is Spinal Tap. I did not uh, direct the film. Rob Reiner directed the film, but apart I from that, very, very sorry, but how have you oh, both? Right. How have you both? We been didn't coping? hear that. Uh, all I heard was, "How are you?" How have you both been coping through the pandemic? Uh, well, that implies we are coping, <laughs> uh, which may not be true. Um, I think uh, fits of rage and. Uh, irresponsible behavior and uh not on our part what no not on, not our, on part. our part on the no, part people of people that i've met that i haven't actually met because we're not meeting anyone i think we're doing fairly well given this strange time i'm busy as all heck i'm i'm super busy here and uh it just uh, it's very difficult for a lot of people all over the world obviously but we're trying to do the best we can amazing um, we're so pleased to have you on our virtual geography program tonight and we've got so many young people who all want to ask you questions. Lovely. Yes. We've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active, healthy and entertained for 45 mm -hmm. weeks now since lockdown first began. Yeah, amazing. Um, yes. uh, so now 100 episodes later. We're being viewed online by nearly 3 million people, thanks to the help of special guests like you joining us each evening. So apart from our CEO, Neil, probably pestering you, why was it important for you both to join us tonight? I think it was uh, the money you offered initially. I think uh, when you said we'll give you a million pounds uh, to do the broadcast, we both said that sounds good. Of course. Uh, that was the main thing, of course, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you said, we have never done this before and we'll never do it again, but we feel that you're special. So <clears throat> uh, that was the main incentive. And the other incentive was, as you mentioned, the connection uh, that I have uh, to the founder, uh, Albert uh, Colonel Goldsmith, and that is uh, something I've known about for a long time. I have photographs of the original uh, group from the early 1900s. And he's sitting in the middle of this group of uh, children. And I've known about this, but I've never uh, been involved uh, until now, I suppose. And I'm simply, you know, I, I try to live a life of positivity and I try to spread it wherever I go and the work I do. And um, so for me, this lockdown has actually inspired me 
um, I'm, I'm inspired by watching people do things. Um, and if you follow me on the socials, um, you'll see that there's a young woman I know who wrote a book called Who Are Our Heroes um, that I post about often. And this is a young girl who wrote a book during COVID and published it. And, you know, that inspires me. So the work that you guys are doing, both just sort of in your own lives, but then as a group, um, is inspiring. And so for me, it's a time of great inspiration and great service. Um, and for Chris? I'm not on social media of any kind, uh, but I, I receive uh, letters. Mm. Actually, I don't receive any letters, but theoretically <laughs> I could receive letters if someone wrote me letters. I would open them. I would read them. I do write letters to people, but I'm not on any social media. Uh, that's my own choice. Well, maybe Judge B will write you a letter. Right. Um, thank you. Obviously, thank you so much for coming, and we really hope you enjoy tonight. We already are. Amazing. So we're all about acts of kindness here at Judge B, and we always ask our guests what they've been doing to help others. So, of course, you're both involved in supporting many charities and campaigns, but are there particular acts of kindness you've been doing to help others during the pandemic? I think uh, for friends that I have, starts with a, a closer circle, for friends that are going through difficult periods of uh, difficult times, uh, partly because of COVID, some friends have had COVID, and I think it's important to know that you support them uh, initially, and then the families of those people and people that we know who are affected by any number of things, which I can't personalize at this point because it's personal, uh, obviously. Um, I think that's where it starts. And then we are people who are involved in many different charities for the last 30 years, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And that's an ongoing uh, situation where we uh, help them at environmental causes, uh, human rights causes, and that continues. Um, and obviously that's a family foundation, which we uh, support, you know, obviously annually. Um, I took advantage of the pandemic um, and it sort of uh, happened at a, a really uh, opportune time for me. I had an idea a long time ago of creating a, a company called My Hand in Yours, which I imagined would offer comfort items to people in times of crisis. And I didn't realize that we would be sort of, no, not that one. <laughs> Good try. <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, and so I, I hired uh, an artist I know to make a sculpture of two hands holding. And the original idea is that we would sell these and then all the money would go to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Well, guess what, young people? My idea has grown into a very big company now. We offer beanies. Look, I'm gonna have very soon baseball hats. Uh, with the My Hand in Yours logo. Um, we've gone from this first sculpture to necklaces and uh, a lot of different items. So this has grown much bigger than I ever thought it would be. And it's been a really inspiring uh, 
company to start and run because the whole thing is you are not alone is our motto. You are not alone. And so that idea of comfort and connection and offering support, particularly during these COVIDian times, felt like a really good thing to do. And it just timed with this, you know, very difficult time for everybody. So that's what I've been doing in that area. Both been doing loads and that looks amazing. It's such an important message as well during time. Um, you can go to the myhandinyours.com website and you will, you will see what we're offering. Objects of comfort in times of crisis. And there is a quote on that page from someone who sent it to us years and years ago. He was a man and I don't want to, I don't have the quote here in front of me, but um, he was a man who worked with us in our uh, house up uh, where we live in the mountains. And he was thanking us for his year of work because it allowed him, you know, to take care of his family. And then mm -hmm. his family gets to take care of the community. And then the community takes care of the grander community. And he says that work, you know, um, the nobility of work brings us into alignment which with something that is greater than ourselves. And I think that's what service is, ultimately. You're being of service, your acts of kindness, your positivity does bring you into alignment with something much bigger than you, which is this greater social good that you're doing. And so I use that quote on my website. It's, it's actually on there because it moved me. And he works with the land. And wow. so I just thought that was an important thing to add. Thank His you. name, by the way, is Kelly Weston. I, I like to attribute quotes to the people who deserve them. Definitely. And I'm sure we can post that link in the chat for anybody that wants to go and support the amazing cause. Um, we so do ship to the UK. Amazing. By the way. Perfect. Um, so, Christopher, if you don't mind, let's go back to your family connection to Judge B, um, which many people are actually finding out for the first time tonight. So growing up, you were aware of your great grandfather, Colonel Goldsmith, who we can yes. see, um, hopefully, um, many different things that he accomplished. And did you know that 125 years later, the organisation that he founded was still going strong? Yes, I did. Really? Ah, yes, I, I knew that. Uh, I just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I did know. Yes, um, <laughs> I um, I did know. Yes, I think that's the answer to the question. I did. I did know that. Yes. That's the question. Um. So I'm currently. <laughs> This is why my wife doesn't do live television. Um, uh, this is why. I'll pull it together. I will. Sorry. All right. Um, I'm actually studying media in secondary school at the moment. And we've spent the last term studying lots of horror movie case studies. Uh. Case studies. Um, 
so now of course you Jamie are synonymous with this genre but amazingly your mother Janet Lee who was probably best known for one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history which is the shower scene from Psycho um who I've actually studied in a lot of case studies this term so was this an influence on you wanting to be involved in Halloween and with two Hollywood legends as your parents was acting always in your destiny oh that's you for you okay um no no to the destiny part um I never thought I'd be an actor I didn't think I was very pretty I didn't have any discernible talent I thought I would be a police officer um huh? I went to college uh I was not a great student I I barely I crawled into college basically and I thought I would be a you know corrections officer or a social worker or something I'm good with people and I like law and order, so I figured that would be a good combo. Uh, it, I <clears throat> fell into being an actor totally by accident, uh, truly. Uh, ran into somebody who I knew who was a tennis teacher, and they said they were looking for Nancy Drew on television, and did I want to go up for the part? So I, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I went up for the part. I didn't get the part, but then he said, you should stick around, and I ended up getting a part and quitting college and becoming an actor, which I never planned on doing ever. So obviously that was not in my um, mind growing up. And to be honest, I had been doing a comedy TV show uh, when I, before Halloween, and when the Halloween uh, came available and they were casting the part, Obviously, I had been doing two lines on a comedy TV show. And so to see a script where Lori's name was all the way through the script was really exciting to me. It, it meant I would have a chance to actually create something rather than two lines. And so because of that, I was excited, not because it was a horror movie at all. I don't like horror movies. I'm frightened of them. My husband will attest. How do I, what do I do when I'm watching anything? Seriously, I, and I mean anything, I'm like this. I really, I close my ears, I don't like it. So it was just a happenstance and and obviously probably helped me win the role when it came down to two people and the fact that my mother had been in Psycho, obviously I think probably played a part. Amazing. Thank God you are an actor because you're here today. Um, so another question for you, Jamie, um, but uh -oh. is it true that you saw a picture of Christopher in Rolling Stones when you were promoting the movie, This Is Spinal Tap, and said to your friend, I'm going to marry that guy. So can you tell us the story and Christopher, did you actually have a say in the matter? He just went, he just told me to tell the short version. So here's the short version. I was single, I saw his picture in Rolling Stone, I did say to my friend, that exact picture, the guy on the left, I said to my friend, ooh, I'm gonna marry that guy. On the right. <laughs> you made a mistake, you married the wrong person. I should call Michael and Annette and have a whole convo. You should. Okay, but he's on the, but no, wait a minute. Oh no, I guess you were on the right. <laughs> it's a dyslexia thing. It, I'll All work right. it out. Anyway, I saw his picture, I thought he was cute. I said I was gonna marry him. I'd never seen him before. <clears throat> he, she said he's with your agency. Um, I called the agent. I, it's the short version, Chris. I can't help it. 
I called the agent. I left my telephone number. He didn't call me. Three or four months went by. I ended up going into a restaurant. He was sitting, a, you know, two, two tables away facing me. He looked at me and he went like this. And I went like this. And then a minute later, he got up to leave and he went like this. And I went like this. Classic. And then he called me the next day and we went out two days later and we got married five months later. Wow. 36 years ago. That's amazing. What a cool yes. story. So then obviously you've just said that you have celebrated, just celebrated 36 years in marriage. Um, yes. Whilst your styles and genres of work are obviously quite different, um, and I don't think you've done many interviews together, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you are known for having an incredibly supportive relationship and have been there for each other through good and bad times. So what would you say, but what would you both say is the secret for a good long lasting marriage? Don't leave. That's really it, two words. Cause you'll want to, because if anybody, well, because anybody who's married for a long time, you're telling me anybody who's married for a long time hasn't thought I hate them I want out? Of course they have. So I believe that if you just stick in it, like it's, you know, I'm sober for a long time and there's a phrase, if you stay on the bus long enough, the scenery will change. So in the same way in a long marriage, if depends you- Depends what bus. The 22 <laughs> comes up from near Sloan Square, goes up if you wanted to go to Knightsbridge, not true on the 22. And I would say that not everyone thinks I hate you. The thing is in your mind, you have to think I hate you. Don't <laughs> continue the thought because then you haven't gone over the edge with that. <clears throat> That's what I would say. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll keep the advice for the future. Um, but I'm going to stop speaking for a minute and you can yeah. not my voice. Well, we like you so much. Thank if you, you stop speaking, then what happens? I think other people speak. Ah, oh, that's all right. Exactly that. There are loads of young people that really want to ask questions this evening. So first up, we have Gaia from Leeds. Hi. Um, so I'm huge fans of both of your work. Um, so I have a couple of questions, if that's okay. Of course. Um, so obviously coronavirus has affected the entertainment industry substantially with <clears throat> West End closures and um, movie release timelines delayed and halting a lot of TV production. So firstly, like, how do you see the future of the industry changing because of the pandemic? And has either of your own work been affected? Um, uh, clearly, the movie industry or television industry has had to uh, kind of recalibrate for sure. And what's interesting is that the the um, arrival of the streaming services of the Netflix and the Hulus and the Voodoo's and all the rest of them, what it's actually done is it's already sort of prepared us for this time. And movie theaters, the old idea of a movie theater is an old idea. 
it was the only place you could go. And now you can actually get your content from big screens in your home. So I think that whole conversation has been shifting. And so the fact that a lot of streaming is still available has been helpful. Obviously, a lot of shows have had to stop shooting or have been terribly delayed. I have not filmed. I did one day on a Reno 911, and that crew had completely bubbled together in a hotel with no one else there. And I had to go through all of these hoops to jump through to be able to go and be a part of it. But mostly, people still live at home. And so those shows have been really affected. Um, and I do think it's going to have a big effect. I don't know exactly how big. And I still think movies will exist. I think people still enjoy going to the movie theater, getting out of their home rather than watching in their home. So I think the movie business will be there. Uh, it's just going to change. That's yeah. mine. You? I agree with you. <clears throat> yeah, there you I go. Obviously, the whole culture, the whole culture's changed, and um, I'm also uh, hoping to become an actor. Originally, I also wanted to be a policewoman, um, but I'm hoping to become an actor, and I'm auditioning. I'm currently auditioning for drama schools in the UK. But mm. would you say now's a good time to start a career? And like, what advice would you have for anyone who's like wanting to get involved? Well, it's clearly more challenging now because in the past, before this began, people could go to auditions and people could go to acting classes and that uh, is not happening now. So I, I would say it's even more of a challenge and it was difficult even before. Uh, but if you think that that's what you want to do, you have to really do everything you can to try to do it any way you can, I would say. And I think that the opportunities are actually quite vast because because of all of the streaming, you know, there's a lot of production happening. And once the COVID restrictions diminish a little because of the vaccine being more widely available, I actually think there's a lot of work out there. And, you know, certainly the cross-cultural um, aspects of, of film and television we are seeing more and more now where, you know, we as as a family, I mean, my husband and I just finished Happy Valley, which we were obsessed with. I mean, I'm obsessed with Sarah Lancashire, like a crazy person obsessed, because that was extraordinary storytelling, extraordinary storytelling. And, and Sally Wainwright, the writer, director, just extraordinary talent. And that combination, so you see, there is a lot of work coming here to America. We're seeing everything. There's BritBox, you know, we see everything. So I do think that those opportunities are greater now um, in many ways. You're not so left in your specific country. I think a lot of expansion is happening. So, you know, in that sense, I think it's quite positive. Thank you. That was really helpful. And I love Happy Valley too, but I'll let Sid carry on. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. I've never watched Happy Valley, Happy Valley. So maybe I should watch this now. It's <laughs> dark. It's dark. It's dark. But I don't have a TV program to watch though. So maybe I should start that. Um, our next question is going to come from Talia from Borehamwood in Hertfordshire. Hi. 
How are you both? Good, thank you. Good. So I actually have something to say to Christopher. I hear we have something in common and that we are both reluctant clarinet players, which wasn't our first choice of instrument. So my first question is, is this true? And how important is music to you amongst the many talents that you have, as it clearly features heavily in your films? <clears throat> yes, I, I was, uh, I, I guess I may have done interviews where I, I told this, <clears throat> excuse me, story. Uh, I was about eight or nine and I was taken by my mother to a music school near our house and uh, the man who worked there said well, what would you like to play and I said I would like to play the drums and my mother said no <laughs> that wouldn't be the answer to that and he said what else were you thinking of playing I said the saxophone might be she said no I said the trumpet but no and my mother said, what do you have left? He said, the clarinet. And my entire body melted into the floor. Um, it was not what I had envisioned. I ended up studying the clarinet, going to the High School of Music and Art, which was a classical uh, training that ultimately funneled into orchestras. And I didn't like it. I learned how to play uh, the mandolin and the and the guitar and the bass and the piano on my own <clears throat> and that has always been an important part of my life playing music it's a uh, daily part of your life i do i record every day uh i practice every day not the clarinet i have a clarinet but it is um yes it, it's uh it's a good instrument it's a it's a lovely instrument it wasn't it's difficult to be given an instrument to play that you're you're not drawn to initially. So for uh, parents out there, you, you want to make bring the child to the music school, but then not say have another pick instead of the one that you like. Yeah, definitely. I know it was like it took me a bit of convincing to try and play the clarinet, and then I did give up kind of quickly because I just wasn't really enjoying it. But it is what it is. And so many comedians say that music and rhythm are crucial skill sets in comedy timing and improvisation. Is this something that you specifically look for when casting actors for your films? There, there is a connection. And many of the actors that I've worked with are also wonderful musicians. And because many of the films I do are improvised films, there is an outline uh, instead of a script that has written dialogue uh, and there, uh, there's no rehearsal, the people are required to be able to play in that sense as you would playing jazz where you, you know what the song is, you know what key you're playing in, but there are no notes uh, written down that you're reading for the most part. <clears throat> so it's crucial that people know how to do this, but you can't really teach this on the other hand people uh go to improv classes i believe but i i interview people there's no audition per se because there's no, there's no there are no lines to read i talk to them and it's almost as if uh, i'm playing with them 
by just talking to them for a period of time, and then I make my decisions based on that. But there is definitely a link between timing uh, and uh, music in terms of comedy and music, yes. Oh, that's actually kind of cool, but kind of scary at the same time to do improvisation like on the spot. But yeah, well, thank yes. you so much. Yes, yeah. Thank you, Talia. Um, another question from me. And um, Christopher, I've spent the last week kind of watching your films and interviews in preparation for today. Uh, you have formed an incredible reoccurring cast of brilliant comedic actors, including Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Jennifer Coolidge, John Michael Higgins, and of course the late Fred Willard. I'm sorry if I pronounced any of those names wrong. Um, but you essentially pioneered a new film genre as you created fictional films in a documentary fashion. So is there any chance that you could kind of tell us a little bit more about your process? So like, where does a film like Best in Show come from? And if there's no script, how does it come together as one coherent narrative? <clears throat> well, I, I would correct one thing, which is that when I, with Rob Reiner and Michael McKean and Harry Shearer wrote uh, Spinal Tap, the film, this is Spinal Tap, that was the first film done in that fashion. <clears throat> we wrote an outline, which I think was only 20 pages long. We wrote the back histories of all the characters. We knew where they went to school, who they knew, uh, the music they liked. We created these uh, fake histories, essentially. But when it came time to shooting the film, which was done in, I think, 25 days, uh, it was improvised, apart from mm -hmm. the music, of course, which we had written and played. Um, in a film like Best in Show, I, I came up with this idea while I was walking a dog we had, and I thought about the notion of doing a, a film about a dog show and the connection between people and various breeds and that world, which I then, uh, I, I asked my writing partner, Eugene Levy, to uh, work on it with me. And that took about six months to do the outline and create all the characters, create a breakdown of all the scenes. There may be 115 scenes, what happens in every scene, a first, second, and third act. And because I knew who would populate this film, because I had worked with uh, many of these people before and waiting for Guffman, for instance, uh, we then populated the film with these, these uh, actors we, we had worked with. And then, as I was explaining before, the difficult part to explain is uh, how this works, because you arrive on a set and there's no typical blocking and uh, normally you'd shoot a master shot and then you would move in for coverage. Um, and I begin with a closer shot with maybe two people in it because it's improvised and you don't want to waste the improvisation on a wide shot and you don't want to have to keep repeating it because you don't repeat the same thing when you do another take. You may only, we may only do two takes and then you move on. And uh, it's hard, it's, it's easy to explain, but it's hard to understand because other people don't work in quite the same way. And that's fine, I guess. That's the way I work. But if you can't do this kind of work, it's really impossible to understand uh, how that would work in the same way 
if you said just stand up there with an instrument and start to play what am i going to play there's no music just play uh it's the same thing anyone who acts in my films could speak talk uh on cue for 24 hours assuming they could stay up for 24 hours and that is something that can't explain because you can't explain where does this come from in someone's head but i've tried to explain it over the years but i don't i don't think i'm very good at it oh no i disagree <laughs> great explanation um so now it's time for another audience question which is from samuel who's from ilford in essex hi there jamie and christopher Hello. good to meet nice to meet you how are you both? Very Thank well. You. Nice to meet you. Um, so my question is mainly directed at um, at Jamie, but Christopher, if you have anything to add, feel free. Um, with, with with by all means. Um, rumor has it that uh, you're a bit of a gamer. And <laughs> <laughs> and and. Huh. And uh, uh, it seems that you went to the premiere of the film Warcraft. I might have, yeah. A couple of years ago, with and you cosplayed with your son Thomas. Yes. Then, uh, could you confirm this? And um, <laughs> well, uh, uh, and how how is your gaming experience? Uh, well, let's just be really clear. Obviously, the confirmation is that there are pictures of us at the premiere for World of Warcraft. Um, our child, Tom, um, very clearly, from a very young age, loved video games. And it's not something that either my husband or, or myself, you know, Christopher is a classically trained musician, practices every day. I'm an amateur photographer and I write books for children. You know, we don't, we, we didn't have any frame of reference for this. And this was a very important thing to him. And like any parent, you want to know what your kid's into. And so I am not a good gamer. Uh, I am really good in those Mario games where the only thing I'm good at is hitting my finger really fast. So any of those where you have to hit repeatedly to blow like a balloon up, those are the mini games that I win. The, anything that you have to track and follow, I get lost. I, I don't have- I, I concur. Wow. No, I, I, I agree that you're saying that correctly, that, that rumors, uh, you are not a gamer. You have played games. We have played games when our, when our son was uh, younger. Uh, I used to play Street Fighter occasionally, but I was taunted into playing this. And at one point, he was, I think he was about 11, he said, Dad, I'm gonna play blindfolded. <laughs> and he beat me. Yeah. And, and I'm, ser I'm serious, he beat me. And that's the kicking, punching game, which if you're a gamer, you know about it. It's an old school sort of. Uh... But to that point, we also, we took, for Tom's 18th birthday, we went to Evo in Vegas because that's what parents do. You it's go being to the thing as, a, as opposed to a real gamer. Yeah. yeah. So yes, I've I'm I I wear the mantle of a gamer, but I am not an official gamer because I'm you know to be honest, I don't have the free time to attend to it. So you um, so you cosplayed for in like on a 
with your son like to do it for your son? Sure, of course, because, you know, he loved World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft uh, became a very big part of his life. Of course, then it became a very big part of our life. And he would go to the WoW convention and we would go to the WoW convention and I would walk around in a mask. I wore an orc mask that I walked around the convention so that I wouldn't be recognized. And that's what you do when you have a child who enjoys that. Uh, and so when World of Warcraft was having their movie premiere, they invited us. And, you know, I said to Tom, should we cosplay this? And, you know, what was amazing is there were so many actors who showed up at this movie premiere thinking they were going to like a movie premiere and like that they were going to get their picture taken of, about what they were wearing, like a suit or a fancy dress. And, you know, we just went, I'm sure if anybody wants to look it up, you'll find it. We're both orcs. I mean, we're green and, you know, I mean, it, it was fun. Much more fun, honestly, than wearing some frock that you have to, you know, suck your stomach in and worry that, you know, you're going to have some wardrobe malfunction on the red carpet. Very inspiring. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely Thanks. to meet you. Um, our next question is from Abby, who also lives in Essex. Hi. So I do have a serious question to ask, but first I had to ask, as I absolutely love the film Freaky Friday, if you could swap bodies with someone for a day, who would you both want it to be with and why? Ooh, what a good question. Uh, if we could swap bodies with another person. You mean like be, No, yes. I understand. Do, do, do you mean as a person or just the physical body? Just the physical body, like film. Hmm. You go first. I would uh, probably pick an athlete of some sort. I would love to know what that feels like to be able to run and not be winded. Um, I'm a little top heavy. So, you know, running is, is um, you know, challenging. And I probably would love to feel what that really feels like to be able to run fast and jump and do all of the things that many athletes can do. That's a good answer. Thanks, Chris. I would say Ricky Gervais. Um, <laughs> Why? You can fill in the, the, you know, it's obvious. It's pretty obvious. Okay. There you go. Thank you. So this week is Children's Mental Health Week. And with schools closed and not knowing if we'll have holidays or our own JLGB summer camp in August again, it's had a serious toll on many people's mental health. Um, so, Jamie, can you tell us about your podcast, Letters from Camp, how it came yes. and why it was so important for those who also missed out on their summer camp? Yes. What a, what a Yes. Yes and yes. I agree with you. Um, it's a challenging time, but for particularly for young people, it's it, a very challenging time. Um, my goddaughter uh, is now 26 years old, but when she was 12, she wrote me a letter from camp that she never mailed. And about a, two years ago, her mother found it in her apartment, in her room and sent it to me. And I opened it and it said, literally, dear Godmother Jamie, I've made a big mistake. I did something with a group of kids that we weren't supposed to do. And I got in trouble and I've let everybody down and I feel really bad. I wish you were here. And I wish you would tell me what, how, that it's gonna get better. And I, I got this letter, it was written in a 12 year old's handwriting and I called her she lives here in Los Angeles. And I said, you know, I got your letter. 
And I said, this is a TV show. And originally we thought it would be a TV show, but it ended up being a podcast on Audible that if you have Audible in the UK, you can actually, if you have any credits on Audible, you can listen to it. It's called Letters from Camp. And it's the story of an 11 year old girl who goes to her sleepaway camp where her mother was the most famous woman to have ever gone to the camp. And it stars myself, Edie Patterson, Kirby Howell Baptiste, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And it is voiced by Sonny Sandler, who's an 11 year old girl here in Los Angeles. And it's a wonderful, very funny um, look back, a little nostalgia, it's set in 2005 before social media, before everybody being on their phones. And I'm really happy with it. And we are gonna do a second season. And so we're hoping, again, taking advantage of the COVID of it all, that those young people will enjoy something that will remind them of what summer camp was like. Definitely will, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. Uh, next question is from Greg from Glasgow in Scotland. Oh. Oh. Hi both, good evening. It's a pleasure to speak to you both. Thank you. Um, so my question's for Christopher. Um, uh, I'm a bit of a comedy fan myself. I, I really uh, follow SNL. So it's been great to watch your, your clips online. And um, I was wondering who your, you know, who your influences are or what shows really inspired you um, at that time. And then more recently, who, you know, what, what more recent uh, comics are you following? I know that you just mentioned Ricky Gervais. Um, so who are, who are your influences? Well, the people that influenced me initially are from the huh. um, Sorry, we, we, we can't actually hear you. I oh, it must be because I took my earphone over there. Here, hold on. Okay. Sorry, it's probably my fault. No, 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 hold on. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, I'll leave it here. We'll do this. Are you hearing me now? Yes, loud and clear. Yes, yes. Uh, initially, it, it was, uh, th these are all people long dead, but uh, there was a group called Beyond the Fringe. Uh, it was really the first of a new kind of comedy that began in the early 60s with Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Uh, and then uh, probably six or eight years later, there was uh, Python. Uh, Peter Sellers was a big influence uh, and uh, even a lot of silent uh, comedians. Um, later, um, I started working when I was quite young, probably 19 or so, doing my own uh, comedy that I had written. And... Um, I think there are many gifted people working today uh, out in the world. Uh, uh, Ricky Gervais is a is a a good friend, and uh, we talk about collaborating a lot. But uh, we mostly laugh when we get together. Great, thank you very oh. much. Sure. Thanks, Greg. Our next question is from Maya from Liverpool. Hi, um, it's so lovely to meet you. Um, my question is for Jamie. Um, I was just wondering if it's true that when your children were babies, you actually invented your own nappy 
or diecast, <laughs> I guess you call them in America. And what yes. made you do that? You're very sweet. I did. <laughs> um, it, 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 necessity, you know, I, there was a moment where we were in our house in the mountains and there was a big long counter in our kitchen and I was changing her nappy on one end and it was unpleasant and uh, multitasking as you can imagine. And I realized that the wipes were at the other end of this long counter. And, you know, I had obviously taken off her clothes and she was lying on this counter. And I, I did that mental math of how quickly could I go grab them and get back to her so that she wouldn't fall off this thing. And it was, it would have been a, you know, second to reach for it. And I did, and while I was doing that, I thought, wow, I wish they made diapers that had pre-moistened wipes built into them. Mm -hmm. And it popped into my head that quickly, diaper and wipe, diapers and wipers in one. And I built a prototype and I applied for a patent, which I was granted. And then I changed it a little bit and I applied a second time and got a second patent. And I've never produced them but uh, I do have the patents for them. Thank you so much, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Maya. Our next question is from Zara from Borenwood in Hertfordshire. Hi, um, my question is directed for Jamie. Um, as we can see from the many projects you've been involved in, you're such an inspiring woman in so many different fields. You've opened the way for future women in like different career paths. Can you tell us a bit about your experiences as women in Hollywood and what more do you think we still need to do? Well, I think women in general are, are beginning way too late to start to really have a seat at the table. And you know, it takes time and evolution. Uh, a lot of history uh, has been very male dominated. I'm involved with a women's political group called Fund Her, which is looking for gender parity in particularly in the California state legislature. Obviously, we have a female pre uh, vice president here in America. That's a big deal. Uh, obviously, I read today that at the um, I believe in the Golden Globe nominations that three of the movies were directed by women. Now, you know, years ago, that was just not even a conversation. So it's a, it's a process. It's a process that needs some pushing. It's not gonna happen without pushing. But I also am someone who um, has a very strong work ethic. I was raised well, my mother had a good work ethic. And I really believe in, uh, you're the first person there, you're the last to leave, you ask what you can do to help, you bring your ideas to the fore, you don't just sit back and, and expect something to happen, you make something happen. And I have been very lucky, uh, incredibly lucky, and so many things have just happened that I've then put my, but I think it's crucial to put yourself in the path of opportunity, put yourself in the path of creativity, put yourself in the path of love. Look, I reached out to his agent. I left my number. He didn't call me, by the way. 
And then we ran into each other at a restaurant and then he called me. But I put myself in the path of it because I have believed in that my whole life. Put yourself in the path, do your work and let God take over the rest. Like I, that's just the sort of way I've lived my life. And I'm now 62, I've raised two children. I've started this little company, I'm married. We have a beautiful life together. I am as creative as I have ever been in my life right now at 62 years old. So I believe that's the, the lesson, which is um, kind of a phrase, which I like, which is suit up and show up. So thank you for asking. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zara. Our next question is from Izzy from Redbridge, London. Hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, my question's also aimed at Jamie. Um, okay. So you've been very open about your addiction and you shared this week on Instagram your amazing 22 years of sobriety with the help of your family. You've also been a campaigner for so many issues and causes that help others, including your recent My Hand in Yours campaign. I also hear you've been a great mentor to Lindsay Lohan and likewise your godson, Jake Gillahall. So I wonder for many young people watching what life lessons or mantras you've both lived by that you're willing to share and impart. Mm, that's a very big question. Thank you for it. Um, obviously, uh, my recovery is the single greatest accomplishment that I will ever get to do in this human life. Um, I have a generational link to addiction and substance abuse in my family, uh, and I was able to catch it, look in the mirror, understand that it was the problem was me, and I have, uh, as you said, been clean and sober for 22 years. And I work with a lot of women, and um, you know, obviously, so it's it's, you know, it, it, it honestly, I think my mantras really are suit up and show up. Uh, I, I believe that it's service that puts us into alignment. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, service in this, even the smallest act of kindness is service, which puts you into the path of something bigger. I, I, I don't think it needs to be anything grandiose. I think the whole idea is that you're connecting to someone else is the link that we're always looking for. And certainly it's the way that I approach it. You know, in addiction, you are talking about one person who is an addict talking to another. There's a, a, a in the recovery uh, field, there was a moment where the two founders of a certain recovery field were in a hospital with a, a man who was in a, in a hospital bed and that man's wife walked in the room and he said to his wife, honey, these are the guys I was telling you about. They're the ones who understand. And you see, that's what we go for, is experience, strength, and hope. I want you to understand me and you to under and me to understand you. And that's sacred. So I do think that simple acts of kindness uh, and generosity are the really foundational stepping stones to transforming your life. And you? Keep them laughing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Izzy. Um, our next question is from Emma Solomons from Cardiff. Hi. Hello. 
Um, it's really lovely to meet both of you. Um, so Christopher, we've seen your ventriloquism in your movies. So where does that skill come from? And I heard you actually used to get other kids in trouble in class by using this talent to make strange sounds. What an interesting question. Um, well, strangely enough, uh, I had done a film called Best in Show, and in the film, I, my character, uh, there's a scene where he's practicing his ventriloquism, <clears throat> and after I had finished that film, I found diaries from my great, 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 great grandfather, Lionel, which indicated that he was studying ventriloquism in 1802. And I got this shiver because I thought this is strange because in the description of him that he writes, it was very similar to my young life where I would imitate sounds and I don't know how to do ventriloquism, although in the film I'm doing it, but I've never, I didn't even practice that. I didn't, uh, I just did that. We shot it, action, and I did that with this figure. Um, I am have always been interested in that idea. Uh, great ventriloquists uh, such as Nina Conti are brilliant actors and ventriloquists who are truly skilled at that. I have some ability to do some <laughs> version of that, but it's not proper ventriloquism. But I am interested in the idea of that, and it goes back a long way. It's a peculiar psychological idea that someone wants to have a puppet on their lap that is saying things that they can't say, and then they can blame the puppet. It's, a, it's an old idea uh, and an interesting one, I think. <laughs> and yes, I, I used to do sounds in, when I was in school and people thought it was coming from somewhere else. I guess I was uh, bored perhaps, maybe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Uh, next question is from Guy from Birmingham. Hi. Hello. I just want to say thank you very much both of you for being here. And also that um, Knives Out, Jamie, is one of like my favorite movies ever. So um, wonderful, isn't it? It's, it's fantastic. I gush about it like all night. But um, I'm not actually here to promote Knives Out. I'm here to ask a question. So I feel like I should probably do that. Um, so Jamie, you've been politically engaged, kind of, you know, not kind of, you've been very politically engaged, both on social media and like as a vocal critic, especially in the last four years of the now previous president. So do you think that social media is both a force for good and evil, Sparty? Wow. Um, well, I need to say two things. One, uh, I was raised um, by my mother, Janet Lee, and for a long time, my mother was very political. She was a big supporter of the Kennedy family. Um, she performed with Tony Curtis at the Kennedy inaugural that was snowed in. So she was very hooked in with that and really campaigned quite a bit for them. Uh, obviously was devastated when both of them were killed and even was offered an ambassadorship to Finland under the Johnson administration, which is interesting, uh, which most people don't know. She did not take the position 
because she was recently married and she had these two young daughters. Um, so, and then she became a Republican, which was really difficult uh, because she married a businessman and she changed her political views. So I was not raised with a lot of politics in my house, except very conservative politics. And it really just sort of began for me when Hillary Clinton was running and, you know, I, I just very quickly joined her campaign and, and felt like it was important to sort of say what you mean and mean what you say and try not to say it mean and really be a voice for that, which I was happy to do and did the same thing, as you said, for the current president now. Um, you know, social media is very dangerous, young people. And I know you may all look at me like I'm some old lady saying that, but I am telling you, it's a very dangerous uh, world out there because you are not seeing reality. If you are seeing reality, then I think social media can connect us. But unfortunately, I think there is a lot of artifice. There is a lot of fraud. There are charlatans. There are people taking advantage of young people. And unfortunately, technology is allowing people to shift the reality of their lives and make a fake presentation, which is basically lying, which is basically designed to make someone else feel bad. Because look at me and how beautiful I am and my life. And it is designed to make you feel less than and designed to make you then want that item you know, outfit, clothes, whatever, or even facial altering and all of it. So honestly, I think it's an incredibly dangerous time. And yet I think social media can bring about tremendous good. And I think about people like Greta Thunberg, who has changed the world. And I don't think that would have happened without social media. So I think they're great examples here of young people doing profound transformational change globally. And I think it's a poison. It's an absolute poison for many, many, many young people who are vulnerable, who are still starting to create their own minds and their ideas. And if they get confronted over and over and over again with these images of fakery, it cannot make you feel anything except bad. And I urge you to try to fight it. And I will continue to voice that support for that artifice, which I think is, a, is really a terrible, terrible, terrible part of it. And it's just a byproduct of social media. And are you optimistic that um, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will be able to bring many voices and sides together? I am. I am I'm enthusiastic and, and excited by the opportunity, and yet I am aware of the great divide and the, the amount of lies perpetrating the other side of the divide. And how do, you, how do you unring a bell that you have been pounded into your head from childhood by your parents um, and that imprint from those parents on a young mind is going to be very challenging to change. So, but I'm optimistic because I'm an optimistic person. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Guy. Um, and our final audience question is going to come from Laura from Manchester. 
Aya, so lovely to meet you. Um, thanks for doing this. It's been really exciting uh, listening to your story so far. So thank you. Um, so my questions for Christopher, I, um, in contrast, you've kept away from social media, but I, I heard you read seven different newspapers every day. Have you always done this? Uh, well, I think I've always read a lot of news. I think in the last eight or 10 years, maybe I've uh, upped it a bit. Yes, I think it's important to have uh, the, the knowledge and, and there's, as you probably, if you followed the news at all, at least in, in the United States, um, there are what would be called- uh, Liars? Liars. Yeah, there are certain news uh, channels that are are not telling the truth, and they've made it seem as if the other thing is uh, fake, which is an extraordinary situation. In in when I was younger, you would pick up a newspaper, and and if you were in the UK, and I lived in both places as a child, then there wasn't anything attached uh, to the idea that if you picked up any newspaper in either place that that would not be true you would it you might read an, an opinion piece that you didn't agree with but the news inherently was uh fact <clears throat> i read uh many different newspapers and then uh i have a basis for figuring out uh sort of what's in between but i would say that the things that i read are are factual as opposed to uh, made up. Um, and I think that uh, that's important that people know. Uh, I was listening to an interview with a teacher in, this, in the States the other day, and he said, uh, my students don't know anything about what's going on. They don't read any newspaper. Uh, they watch a certain network in, in, in the States. Their parents tell them what's happening. So they have no real knowledge of the facts of what's happening. And that's how it gets passed on to 75 million people. And uh, that's alarming, but you can't convince someone that says, well, that didn't happen. There are people who say that no one ever landed on the moon <clears throat> and that there are lasers in space that are causing uh, forest fires and 70 million people think that that's true. So I think it's alarming, but I, yes, I do. Coming back to your question, I do uh, think it's important to read the news. Mm. And, and I also saw um, when Jamie was on Jimmy Kimmel, um, uh, that she talked to that about that you like doing fly fishing. I assume a very calming pastime. So do you have any advice for switching off and being calm? And, and does this tranquility help you to spark your next movie idea? Oh, um, so I'm about to show you the fly that Christopher tied for me for my, oh, I don't think the little camera, let's see. I don't even think it'll pick it up. Do you see it? It's so tiny. If you put it on your finger like that, maybe. If I put it on my finger like that. Okay. Um, well, there's a little bit of a misperception about, yeah. See it up there? Yeah, about, about fly fishing, which is that it's, tranquil it can be but it's also very absorbing in terms of the, the attention and focus you need as with many other things um, 
it's not really zoning out. I, I love to be in nature and I hike and I ski and I do many different things. But I think it's important for people to uh, also get away from this incessant uh, bad news. I think not to, not to put your head in the sand, but to also give yourself the chance and the time to breathe. I think that's that's very important so that you're not consumed by what's going on. I think you have to have a balance in your life uh, so that you're not driven completely crazy. And I'm going to now, this is just a really bizarre segue from breathing and being in nature and life to, I realized as I we were here, I know, but I realized that the only people who will ever see this, because it's going to be like up in a closet somewhere, and I realized we had a lot of young people here who might like the MTV Movie Awards, and I don't know, but I just got this in the mail yesterday. And I thought I'd bring it here today because without it, it'll be up in a closet in our house. And I thought, well, why did it arrive today? It arrived yesterday so that I could bring it on here today. So I won an MTV Movie Award for Goat Screen Queen. So there you go. You go from breathing in a river to running from a guy uh, who has an agenda. And yeah. there, that's my weird segue. There, I can put it in a closet now. I love I love Screen Queens. I watched that. Thank you. It was very entertaining. Oh, that was funny. That was definitely funny. <laughs> Thank I'm glad you. you liked it. Thank you so much. And thanks all of you. You've been lovely. Um, what a wonderful group of people. We're very happy to be here. Oh, good. Thank you, Laura. Um, then just three more questions from me, if that's oh, all right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, these are three questions that we always ask our guests on virtual. So what's next for you guys? Are there roles that you still like to play? And is there anything in the pipeline that you can maybe tell us about? I mean, I know Jamie, that we still have the next two parts of Halloween to look forward to. And Christopher, when might we see your next film project? I'm uh, taking some time off uh, for the next uh, 25 years, <laughs> uh, just to relax a little bit. Nice. So the answer to that is you don't, as they say, don't hold your breath is what is what they say. I, I'm doing different things, but they may not be things that are seen by uh, the public. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and I am doing the opposite. I'm just <laughs> continuing to do my work, which I love. Um, so I can't tell you the new movie that I've just signed up for, which will be announced maybe today, but or tomorrow, uh, which I'm excited about, which involves video games to our young video game questioner. Um, and I'm gonna do another couple Halloween movies and I have a bunch of other projects that I'm looking forward to doing. I am on, in a creative fire and I'm loving it. I'm having such a good time. I'm having the best life right now. So I'm really having a great time. Amazing, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that one. Thank you. Um, but these are um, all still unprecedented times and the physical, mental health, economic and environmental impacts may affect us all for some time to come. But do you have hope for the future? And what positives do you see coming out of these strange times that we live in? Um, there have always been hard times all throughout history. 
And what I'm excited by is the way that people respond to them. So we talked about it at the beginning of our talk. I love to watch how people have reinvented themselves, have reinvented the way that they can be of service in their communities. Um, it is the thrilling part of human beings that if you put an obstacle in their way, that they will find a way around the obstacle in a creative, emotional, satisfying way. And I think that's what COVID, COVID is going to bring us all together. Um, it is going to challenge us as it has. And I think we will, for the most part, get through it. Um, no one says it's not going to be difficult. And I'm not being a Pollyanna. I'm not like pretending it isn't. And yet at the same time, Life is pain, Highness, and anyone who says differently is selling something is my favorite line from The Princess Bride, and I believe that. Life is painful. It is the nature of it. And birth is painful, death is painful, life is painful. And I do believe that we will get through it. And I think your examples of generosity, kindness, humanitarianism, neighbor to neighbor, community to community, person to person, social media, virtually, in person, that kind of activity, I think, can only make the world better. Thank you. Thank you. So finally, the big question. Um, we always ask our nominate and ask another celebrity to be a future guest on our program and help entertain all of the children and young people stuck at home. So if you've enjoyed tonight's experience, and I very much hope you have, is there anybody that you might be able to ask to join us? Perhaps Eugene Levy or Ricky Gervais, Christopher, or maybe your godson, a Jake Blinell, Jamie, or, you know, just throwing it out there, you know, go big, go home, maybe even John Cleese or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, you know, yes, I think all of those suggestions are good. But you know, that, that begs the question that we really ask of them things. You know, we're friends with these people, but I don't, you know, it's not necessarily that we, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. we're not, we don't call up Ricky and go, hey, Ricky, there's this great group of young people. We would love it if you would, you know what I mean? Like, you guys have to make the ask. If you, here's how it'll work. If we're going to put it back on you, see, we are Missy Elliott-ing right here. We are flipping it and reversing it back to you. So rather than us answer who our dream person is, you guys decide. You guys then reach out to us and say, our dream person is blank. And here is a letter for blank. And if we know that person, we will forward them the letter. But you see, it's not us asking because we are friends, but it's you guys asking. A friend didn't ask us to come here today. You asked us. So my point of view would be you guys flip it and reverse it. You bring it to us and we'll send it on to these people that we know a way to reach them. And if they respond, great. And if they don't, then you will find somebody else. But it, it, it takes it off of us to deliver them. And I think it puts it much more in your court. 
I agree. There it is. Big answer flipped. Interesting. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Good. So, wow, Jamie and Christopher, um, we cannot thank you enough for joining us this evening and for entertaining and inspiring us all. And for most importantly, taking the time to answer all of our questions. We've loved hearing about your amazing careers, your thoughtful love ad life advice um, for us all. And of course, reuniting you with your Jersey family heritage. So behalf of all the children, young people and families watching, thank you once again. We will wish you a massive happy birthday for tomorrow, Christopher. Um, thank you. Good luck with all that comes next. Please stay safe, take care, and we really hope to see you again soon. God bless Thank you, you very all. much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 So fun. So that's it, folks. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special 100th episode of Jerjury Virtual. Whether you've been watching live or catching up in your own time via at HQ on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, or via our website at jerjb.org forward slash virtual. Please take a moment right now to like, subscribe, and share this episode on whatever platform you're on so we can reach out, share some positivity with as many children, young people, and families as possible all over the world. Thank you so much for listening to Jerjb Virtual, we are live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon.